Um, together we have been looking at the book of Colossians. Um, and Colossians is a book in the New Testament of the Bible that is written by the Apostle Paul. Um, is written around 60 A.D. And uh, Colossae is a town in modern-day Turkey. Um, and as we've read Colossians together, we've encountered the gospel. Um, the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection. Um, and we've seen, as Paul has applied this to the church of Colossae, um, what it means for people to live in light of the gospel. What it means that what God has done in Christ through his death and resurrection is that, um, and, and by giving us faith in Jesus, uniting us to him in his death and resurrection. Um, with our union with Christ, he gives us justification, which is that God declares us righteous in Christ, and he pardons all our sins through faith. And also we've talked about how um, through our union with Christ, God has, is sanctifying us, that he is actually making us by the power of his spirit in us, making us more like Jesus. This was in Colossians 2, 6 and 7, where he says, just as you've received Jesus as Lord, so walk in him. That he's doing this work in us um, by faith, renewing us, making us more like Jesus. And last week we read that in, in Chapter 3, Paul tells the Colossians that what, what it looks like to live like Jesus' death and resurrection are true, or perhaps the, the truest thing about our life here on earth. Um, in our union with Jesus and his death, he tells us to put off death. And then our union with Jesus and his resurrection, he tells us to put on love. Um, in Colossians 3, 12 through 14, he says, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved love. So simply put, what Paul is saying is that if you have faith in Jesus, God is calling you to live a life of love. That God has freed you, through Jesus' death and resurrection, to live a life of love. A life in service of others. And tonight, um, Paul is going to apply that um, to perhaps the, the most difficult relationships to do this, the, the people that are closest to us, our own family. Um, so we're going to be looking at um, what is offered for us in the gospel in regards to our families, to our homes. We'll be talking about family. One of my best friends, um, we'll call him Mark, um, he grew up in a broken home. Uh, when he was, he was, he has an older brother, about two years older than him. When he was nine months old, his dad left home. And so his life as a child was filled with brokenness, filled with attempts to um, fix the pain that he felt from his father's absence um, in all the uh, predictable ways, with drugs and alcohol and sex. Um, he had a very broken family growing up. Um, Simon was the guy I grew up with. His family looked fine until high school, and then his parents split up um, mutually uh, to pursue their own lovers. Um, me. Um, my family tree is littered with estrangements and imprisonment and suicide, with secret addictions, with silent wars. Um, do you find yourself in one of these stories? Right? We, we need healed homes. Um, we need healed homes because on our own, we're just going to perpetuate the brokenness that we've experienced, that we've received and has been passed down to us. And the Bible speaks to this and offers us real hope of a healed home. It does this by saying that um, if you have faith in Christ, you belong to Jesus 
and you belong to him in all of your relationships. And so tonight we're going to look at Colossians and we're going to see God's provision of a healed home, his, this picture of a healed home, and then um, see what the power is for us to live with a healed home. So um, if, you want, if you've got a Bible with you, you can turn to Colossians 3. We're going to start in verse 17. Um, if you have a green sheet with you, uh, you can turn on the back. Um, we're going to read there, starting, bless you, starting in uh, verse 17 of chapter 3. Um, all right, this is God's word for us tonight. He gives us this word because he loves us. Um, it's completely true. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Father, thank you for your word to us. We ask now that you would speak by your spirit to us. Show us, Jesus. Help us to make sense of this passage to your glory and to our joy and to the good um, of our neighbors. We pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So first, um, we're talking about the provision of a healed home. Often when we look at a passage like this, we think rules, right? This is just a list of rules. And sure, it's rules, but really, um, it's, it's sort of a loophole. Paul is saying that you don't have to perpetuate the brokenness that you've experienced. You don't have to hurt people you love the way that um, you've been hurt. Your home doesn't have to be a broken one. And while Paul does give rules, his rules come to us through the grace of Jesus. Uh, There's a quote on your back, uh, on the back of your sheets uh, from C.S. Lewis. And he says this, he says, If the home is to be a means of grace, it must be a place of rules. The alternative to rules is not freedom, but the unconstitutional tyranny of the most selfish member. I'll read that again. If the home is to be a means of grace, it must be a place of rules. The alternative to rule is not freedom, but the unconstitutional tyranny of the most selfish member. Another way of saying this is that God gives us rules because he loves us, and that God provides the possibility of a healed home for us because he loves us. So next we're going to look at the picture that he gives us as a healed home. Um, when I was a kid, I remember, I think it was sixth grade, I went with my school to the Newmarket Battlefield in Virginia. This was the site of the Civil War battle. And I remember that um, they shot off a cannon with us. And they told us to plug our ears and to open our mouths when they shot the cannon because they said if we kept our mouths closed, our eardrums would burst because of the concussive force. So I remember he shot the cannon. I had my, my ears closed and my mouth open. But I still remember that my ears rung. Afterwards, and I was unable to hear anything, anything anyone said for the next few moments. Um, and the first two words of this passage have a similar effect on us, don't they? Wives submit, right? It's like a civil war cannon going off, leaving our ears ringing, and it makes us difficult for us to hear anything else. 
Right? Submission for most of us is a dirty word. Um, it's an act, of a, an act of force. Me making you submit. No love, just power. I, I Google image searched this and I got pictures, bad idea, um, got pictures of men in underwear giving each other chokeholds. It's you know, wrestling. Um, power without love. That's the picture of submission. Um, it's dangerous, right? You don't want to be on the other end of this. You don't want to be somebody's doormat. But for many of you, this isn't a funny image. Some of you have vivid memories of angry fathers yelling at cowering mothers to submit. Others have you seen this have seen this played out in your friends' homes or maybe in a movie somewhere. But that's not the picture that Paul is painting here. That's not love. That's abuse. And abuse is a heinous sin that deserves real consequences. What Paul is giving us is not a rule of abuse, but a rule of love. And he sets it forward us in these three relationships, three sets of relationships. Husbands and wives, children and parents, and bond servants and masters. So first, husbands and wives. I'm going to reread verse 18 and 19. He says this, he says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord, and husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Now we notice, first thing we notice is the difference between these commands, right? That the wife is to submit and the husband is to love. Now this, to us, seems unfair until we look at what the words actually mean. Um, Submission. In the Greek text, the word submission is something that is actually given voluntarily. It is not demanded. I'm going to say that again. In, In the Greek text, the way that this word is written and used, it's that submission is something that is given voluntarily and not demanded. Biblically, submission is a reference to someone who is equal, serving somebody else as an equal. It does not imply that women are inferior. If it implied inferiority, then Christians would have to believe that Jesus is inferior to the Father. When he submits to God the Father's will to come to us and to rescue us. But the Bible is clear that Jesus and the Father and the Spirit are co-equal equal in power and glory, even as Jesus chooses to serve God the Father by coming to rescue us. And also, we have a parallel passage in Ephesians 5, where Paul says something similar to the church there. And he says that submission there is not just the wife's posture, but it's also the husband's posture. The husband's gentle love for his wife is an act of submission, not a reign of terror. Now, why is this? It's because submission is Jesus' love. It's agape, it's, which by definition is self-sacrificial. And you know, I am so sorry that people, men, and even some churches have abused this word, submission. But I promise you that biblical submission is about love. It is not about power politics. I was really wrestling through this this week. I asked Mary Clark, my wife, what um, she thought of it. And uh, she thought it, and this is a good idea. She texted some friends who she trusts. And so they had this little group text talking about what is this word? How do we make sense of it? Uh, these women are all married. How do we make sense of it as wives? And I'm going to read to you um, a little insight on their group text, what they, what they said, what they shared. Um, one said, it's always being for the other's good over your own. 
Another said, I love that idea of thinking about the other's good. I'd also add that it does not mean not sharing an alternate opinion. It means honestly and graciously sharing a different perspective. And when that occurs, full of respect for the position God has put the husband in. I also think it means giving weight to your husband's sense of God's guidance, not to the detriment of how you think God is leading, but more in the lines of taking him seriously and trusting that God will work through him, especially when you disagree. And finally, practically submission for me is being willing to give up what feel like my rights for the good of my husband and family. When to hold on to them would be selfish and show a power struggle. So that's submission. Now what about love? What does it mean for husbands to love their wives? To put it simply, it means to die. Because how did Jesus love the church? He died for her. So as a husband, it means that I die first. I repent first. I forgive first. I serve first. Um, Another C.S. Lewis quote on the back of your bulletin. The husband's crown is not made of gold, but of thorns. Like Jesus' crown. The husband's crown is not made of gold, but it's made of thorns. Y'all, this is the hardest thing in the world. I mean, our world teaches us that authority and leadership is about giving orders, not taking them. It's about exercising power. But not with the gospel. For in the gospel, we see that the one with the greatest authority and the greatest power, Jesus Christ, laid it all down to become the servant of all. God calls those in authority, and in this case husbands, to be gentle and to love, to give themselves in service for their wives. This picture that Paul gives us of marriage is real-time reconciliation. Repentance and forgiveness, love and respect, submission and love. This is what gives real power and life to a marriage. So first, he says, husbands and wives. Next, he gets the children and parents. And he says to children, obey. And he says to parents, do not provoke. Um, We said that if you belong to Jesus, you belong to him in all of your relationships, including your relationships with your parents. So first, he says, children, obey. And and trusting Jesus the strength to do it. Um, Now, my experience as a parent and and the beauty of obedience... um, the picture that comes to mind was Leo, our four-year-old son, when he was two and he was just starting to talk. We would say to him, every day I left, I'd say, I'd say Leo, what are you going to do today? And he'd say, obey mommy. And I'd say, what is mommy going to do today? do today? And he'd say, obey Jesus. Um, and so he, so we got that this obedience thing isn't just, um, wasn't just rules placed on him, but it was the, out of Mary Clark's obedience to Jesus that we expected Leo to, um, to obey us. Um, and this really got practical for us. Um, when we lived in Richmond, there was this alley. We were in the city, and there was an alley behind our house. And people would speed through the alley uh, to cut off the streets. Um, and we had a little parking spot in our back of the car. And Leo loved to get himself in the car. He loved to climb in, um, put himself in his seat by himself. Um, but he could not do that. We would not let him do that in the alley because um, a car wouldn't see him. And we were scared. The car wouldn't see him. and might hit him. So this was a place where we said, Leo, you must obey us because they can't see you. Um, and uh, we're doing this for your safety. And his obedience of this was good, right? We were, do, we were asking him to obey for his safety. Um, and he did. And Leo's never been hit by a car. Praise God. Um, so how does this apply to college students? Right. Uh, the Greek word here for child is this word technon, which refers to minors, people who are under 18 in our culture, and someone who's a part of their parents' household. So most of y'all are over 18 and you're adults, um, but many of your parents are still paying your bills. So perhaps 
they might still have some say about how you spend your money, their money. Um, that, that being said, you all are, because you're no longer children, you're no longer in their household, technically, you're no longer in this child role. Um, that, that being said, parents and children both need to exercise much prayer and much thought about motives in the give and take of rulemaking and rule keeping. Um, and this is where honoring our parents comes in. Um, this posture is an always for you and me, that we're called to honor our parents. The fifth commandment still stands for us, that we do it by and in Jesus' love. And then Paul speaks to the, the fathers, and he says, Fathers, don't exacerbate your kids. Do you all know what this is like? Have you all ever been exacerbated? Um, the pain of your dad toying with you to make you angry or frustrated um, so that he can have a laugh. Um, and you couldn't do anything about it. You know, this is not God's intentions for fathers. And, and God commands them to stop this. Um, I need Jesus' help to obey this. Uh, this is something that my dad did to me. And um, it did to me a lot. And I, I really have to rely on Jesus' strength to not do this with my children. Um, to not exacerbate them. And what God's doing here with this setting up the framework of the family um, is that he wants, and I'm going to use my family as an example because this is where it's happening real time. God wants Leo and Mary Landon to hear and believe the gospel through their parents. Not just hear it, but actually believe it through their parents. And he wants Mary Clark and I to live in such a way that our home is, is a place that's actually filled with love. And that's what these commandments are aimed at. This is God's design for our homes. Final relationship that he gives us. Bond servants and masters. Now this is placed within the home because in first century Greco-Roman culture, um, the home was much bigger than what we have now. And bond servants and masters were a part of the estate of the home. Um, today this is mostly outside of the home. But what he says here still applies. And what he says here is that if you belong to Jesus, you belong to him in all of your relationships. Bond servants. This word is more akin, um, it's less akin to American slavery than it is to modern day um, contractual work. So um, many of you will graduate college and you'll get a job with a company that agrees to pay off your student loans um, if you are willing to work for them for a certain amount of time. And then you're going to work for them and work crazy hours, 100 hours a week. Um, but you're going to be on the hook because if you quit, then you lose your bonus and then you have all this college debt coming back to you. This is a bond-servant relationship, bond-servant and master, where you're contractually obligated to work with this um, financial debt that's attached to it. And the main point that Paul's making here is that as you work in this system, you're to work as for the Lord. You're serving the Lord Christ. If you're a Christian, you're to work whatever job you do as if you're working for Jesus himself. Look at verse 17. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And likewise, the reverse is true. If you're someone's manager, the responsibility you've been given is to treat them as if they are working for God. And to serve knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Paul's saying that if you belong to Jesus, you belong to him in all of your relationships. So what's the power to do this? Um, why should we do this? How do we actually do this? Well, last week we saw that living in light of Jesus' death and resurrection means putting off death and putting on love and letting Christ dwell in us. 
And here Paul is saying that this is what this looks like when it's lived out for us in our homes. And if you have faith in Christ, if you're a Christian, God is calling you, he's calling us to be the presence of Christ in the world. To put off death and to put on love. And this happens in relationships. And the hardest relationships are the ones that are closest to us. And this In these relationships, in our family relationships, is where the real proclamation of the gospel through our lives is put to the test. Um, I was talking to my friend, Peter Rowan, who's a pastor, and he, as we're talking about this passage, he said this. um, He said that some people have called this text a text of oppression. That the call to submit is actually a call of oppressive power. Others have said that this text is a text of liberation. Because in the first century Roman world, um, the way that the Roman society kept order was through the family. They didn't have a police force. They didn't have the, um, the, the law system that we do. And it was up to the, the father, the pater familias, the father of the family, to govern the family. And so they had these family codes, these household, co- household codes that were written for people, for families to keep order. And that's what Paul's doing here. Is he's actually taking one of these first century household codes and he's subverting it. Because the original household codes would be written to just the father alone. And be saying, this person submits to you, this person obeys this way, this person does this thing. But Paul doesn't do that, does he? He addresses all the members. Um, he addresses the husband and the wife. He doesn't tell the, power, he doesn't tell the husband to rule, he tells him to love. Right? This is a radically subversive um, text that Paul gives us. Um, and then with the relationship between the bondservant and the master, the mention of the bondservant, of the slave being an inheritor, should have caused any slave master to give up his slave, or at very least to treat him like a brother. Paul was undermining the idea of authoritarian position of the pater familias, of the, the family house code. And while Paul is doing that, this text is fundamentally a text of proclamation. The call of Christian relationships is that we would learn to proclaim the gospel in the particular way that each of our relationships might call us to. In each of our particular relationships that we're in, um, these exist for us to proclaim the gospel, the good news that we've been loved by God in Christ. Thinking first of the needs of others and not our own. And I know that a lot of this, this sermon is um, stuff that y'all are not experiencing right now, um, that most of you are not married. Um, and these are things to think of in the future as you're thinking about what would it look like when I am married. Um, and one thing I'd, I'd ask you to consider, if this is a new idea, if a healed home is a new idea for you, um, I'd encourage you to get to know families in the churches that you attend here in Winston-Salem and um, to the families where you see this happening, where you see real love happening within the family. Get to know those people and ask them questions and spend time with them. Let, them, let the way that they love one another, the way that they're actually working through this together, rub off and shape um, your imagination of what it looks like to be married and what it looks like to have a family. So where is the power in this? Um, where's the power to actually do this? If we look back at the text, you see that Paul actually repeats a word throughout the whole thing. Do you see it? He says, Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, as is fitting in the Lord. This pleases the Lord. Fearing the Lord. Work heartily as for the Lord. You are serving the Lord Christ. 
God is calling you to love one another in your relationships because of what he has done for you in Jesus Christ. Jesus has all authority as Lord because of his death and resurrection, and he has purchased you through his blood shed on the cross. One of my favorite books is uh, Les Mis. I actually have never seen any of the movies. Um, But if you're unfamiliar with the story, um, Les Miserables, uh, towards the beginning of the book, we're introduced to two characters. The first is the bishop, and the second is Jean Valjean, who's in the movie, I believe, played by Wolverine. Um, And Jean Valjean spent his formative years, um, he stole a loaf of bread when he was young, and he spent his formative years in prison. Um, doing uh, manual labor. I think he was breaking rocks. Um, and this made him a very hard person. And he was released, with prison, released from prison with not a penny to his name. Um, and he's in this village, and he has nowhere to sleep, and he comes upon the open door of the bishop. And the bishop, we're told, is a man who's oriented his life towards hospitality. And Jean Valjean comes in, and the bishop offers him dinner, and he offers him a place to sleep. Um, and they go to bed, and then the bishop wakes up the next morning and is told that they've been robbed. That Jean Valjean, in the middle of the night, made off with all of the silver in the house. And so um, the bishop's there, and he's having his breakfast, and in come two policemen with Jean Valjean in the bag of silver. Um, and as they come in, and before the police have an opportunity to say anything, the bishop blurts out. He says, ah, here you are, looking at Jean Valjean. I'm glad to see you. Well, but... But how is this? I gave you the candlesticks too, which are of silver like the rest, and for which you can certainly get 200 francs. Why did you not carry them away with your forks and spoons? And confused, the policeman said, So what this man said is true? When we came across him, he was walking like a man who was running away. So we can let him go? Certainly, replied the bishop. And the police released Jean Valjean, who recoiled. Is it true that I am to be released? He said in an almost inarticulate voice, as though he were talking in his sleep. Yes, you are released. Do you not understand? said one of the policemen. My friend, resumed the bishop, before you go, here are your candlesticks. Take them. He stepped to the mantelpiece and took the two silver candlesticks and brought them to Jean Valjean. And Jean Valjean was trembling in every limb, and he took the two candlesticks mechanically. The bishop dismissed the policemen, and when they were gone, he drew close to Jean Valjean and said in a low voice, Do not forget, never forget, that you have promised to use this money in becoming an honest man. Jean Valjean, who had no recollection of ever having promised anything, remained speechless. The bishop had emphasized the words when he uttered them, and he resumed with solemnity. Jean Valjean, my brother, you, are no, you no longer belong to evil, but to good. It is your soul that I buy back from you. I withdraw it from black thoughts and the spirit of perdition, and I give it to God. Friends, Jesus has given you everything in his death. And with everything, he has bought you back from your slavery to sin and death. On the cross, we see submission and love in its greatest beauty. Jesus perfectly submitted to his Father in going to the cross for you. And the cross is his display to the world of his love for you. If you ever wonder if you're lovable, 
look at the cross. For it's there that God has established your value and has set his love for you. Jesus has given himself for you fully so that in all things, you, in all of your relationships, you might proclaim this gospel by loving and serving one another. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the good news of your grace to us that in Christ you have given everything, all things, so that in you we might be bought back, that we might be loved, and we might know that we were loved, so that we might go and love this world. Um, Lord, help us. Help us to be people of love um, in a world uh, that does not know love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.